This is your Saturday morning source for everything Huskers. And now keeping himself with Martinez 5. He is going to be in touchdown. Adrian Martinez off the right edge. Runs in from 15 yards out. Tie the game. This is the KLIN Husker Hour. Giving you an inside look at everything going on in Husker Nation. Nebraska wins its fifth national championship. Three sets one over the Florida Gators. Now shoots the three. Got it. Isaiah Roby nails it from three-point land. And a good time was had by all. Good Saturday morning. Welcome to another edition of the KLIN Husker Hour. That is KLIN Sports Director Caleb Henry. It's game day. I am merely... KLIN special correspondent Cole Stukenholtz. That's because you're all that purple you're wearing is what that is. This is my 2016 slow pitch softball championship shirt. Thank you very much. Uh, we'll we'll allow it this once, but it's game day. You're supposed to wear red. We're supposed to be tweeting GBR United. How do you know I'm not? Are you on my Twitter page right now? Stukenholtz? Are are you tweeting that with all that purple on? That LSU hat? I might. Okay. I'm coordinating. Oh, yeah, it'll work. We ha- you have time before kickoff. Yes. Before our spring game. Yes, it is It is virtual spring game day, people. I'm sure that everybody's excited to watch. They should. Right live. now on the schedule, it is tailgate from home. It's on the schedule. It, it is It is on there the on the official schedule. You're supposed to post photos using hashtag GBRUnited. Um, I know the Huskers accounts... They've started tweeting some of those. The yeah. the one I've seen so far is a couple little kids doing go big red. Yeah, yeah. I uh, I will have some some things to do around the house today. That's on my schedule before kickoff. Got to get uh, got to get some lawn work done because all the snow is gone. The most irrelevant snowfall of our lives. <laughs> it was thanks here. For pl- thanks for playing. I'd already forgotten about you by uh, by the uh, by dinner last night. Are we gonna Facebook Live after the game? Like we would have normally, yeah. Okay, live from the game. We're gonna be inside from home. Yeah, no, I mean from inside the video game. Oh, that would actually we should have coordinated that. Our for virtual sure. avatars <laughs> are gonna be breaking things down post game. Yeah, no, not really. I think I think we'll just we'll just probably wrap it up next next Saturday. I yeah, think I think I think that's sufficient. a good idea. A lot to get to though uh, today with looking at both teams' rosters. Um, went historical with the spring game rosters. Um, and it wasn't, it doesn't look like there was really any rhyme or reason with them. There wasn't a older guys versus kind of newer guys. They just kind of went and split up, uh, the teams. We've also, we also had signing day this week, a lot of sound to get to from coach Fred Hoiberg, who, you know, retooled like half the, well, he'll have more than half the roster different this next year. Um, and then baseball and volleyball with a couple signees there as well. Where where do you want to start, Cole? Because because I've I've been in here all week. I, I've been talking about a lot of this on LNK today. Where where do you want to go with this? I want to start actually with uh, some of the uh, the the some of the groupings of of states that have kind of emerged in the in the coronavirus like hey okay. let's yeah. let's try to reopen the country groups you have the one up in the northeast you have the one on the west coast and then you have the one that really interested me was the group of the midwest yeah if you the, look the at the old it, midwest by the way where when well, when people yeah. think midwest 
yes, around here we think, oh, Iowa and Nebraska Midwest. This is we're technically Great Plains. All so, of those states in the the quote Midwest think they're Midwest, but we think we're Midwest. It's it's a yeah, it's it's kind of a misnomer for some. It's like but. Lincoln and Omaha thinking that York is in Western Nebraska. Yes, type of thing. Yes. So I the thing that caught my eye immediately was like, oh my gosh, is this? the original Big Ten footprint. <laughs> because you have Illinois, Minnesota, Wisconsin, Ohio, Michigan, Indiana. Kentucky. And not Iowa. Yeah. Oh, yeah. Kentucky. Yeah, I, I watched them just work their way around yep. Iowa. Not Iowa. Sorry, you're not included. So <laughs> so what I was thinking was the, the Great Plains, if you will, as you said, uh, it should be the old Big Eight footprint. Yeah. You got Iowa for Iowa State because Iowa's not part of the Big Ten footprint anymore. Apparently, um, you got Nebraska, you got Colorado, Missouri, Kansas, and Oklahoma, Texas. They're going to do their own thing. That's that's yeah. Big Twelve era. We don't need that. Just Southwestern the, Conference. Get the yeah the southwest the Southwestern reopening. Yeah, so you got the the Big Eight group right there, um, and and it's not. Look, and realistically, throw in like throw in the Dakotas there, yeah. and, and you've got yeah. what the what that type of regional cooperation yes. would be. Yes, you could. I mean, and, and if you're being more realistic, I mean, it's probably more likely to be like a Wyoming and not a Colorado. Yeah. Um. But but still, you, we're looking at what the old conferences really were for footprints. Yeah. On where states are doing their reopening coalition cooperation groups. And it's so funny because, right, I mean, college college basketball, all the other sports, literally every other sport, the NCAA governs it. You have this one entity at the top that's actually doing everything that, that makes the decisions for the most part and trickles down. With football, it's completely different. The NCAA has almost no say over football anymore. You've got conferences who work their own TV deals. You've got conferences mm-hmm. who work eligibility requirements. You've got conferences who came up with the, the BCS back in the day and the playoff now. The NCAA has nothing to do with it. Um, very similar to, to what we have uh, with, with states doing the, the coronavirus yeah. reopening stuff. Uh, so I, I, think, I wanted to start there. Does that open that, up? So because XFL has collapsed, yep. um, which I thought they were doing well. Uh, the ratings went down from that awesome week one, but yeah. I thought they were. there was something there that was sustainable for multiple seasons, and you see it with the number of guys that have signed NFL contracts. Yeah. Um, when we had a few Huskers that had their seasons cut short that were playing in the XFL, the commissioner of the XFL was Andrew Luckstad. Oliver. And does that leave open the possibility that now there becomes an NCAA football czar type position that Oliver Luck would slide into? If they wanted to do such a thing, I mean, he would certainly be more qualified than most. He's got the the resume. Um, Because otherwise you're just running with this loose contingent of conferences on how everything is going. Yeah, and I look, I think I think there are I, I think to a certain extent it makes sense that you have more of a regional response to all I mean, whether you're equating it to college football or reopening you know, Oh yeah, I'm I'm talking part, more just yeah. just college football yeah, in general. Yeah, yeah. The the reopening, yeah, you have to do that regional. This first year, maybe even the first two, three years are gonna be some completely different yeah. than what we're going to want long term. Yeah. 
But there's, I think football loses something um, if you if you don't have the. Uh, I don't know how I don't know how you get football going in the fall if you don't have some sort of guideline or template or something for literally all 130 some schools to follow like the NFL, the NFL came out this week and they said before any team can go back to the facilities and start, you know, businesses semi-usual, all 32 teams have to have their state or local government restrictions lifted to the point where non-essential business can resume to a certain extent. All 32 have to be open or none are. That's 22 different states. And then even, you know, you get more granular down to the, the, the local bi- levels. The biggest cases, of course, being California, New York. And L.A.'s uh, and, mayor, uh, Eric Garcetti. Florida, has, Washington. Yeah, he's actually said, I think we should be prepared. Uh, well, regarding uh, no large gatherings like sporting events or concerts until 2021. Mm-hmm. He was quoted as saying... I think we should be prepared for that, probably not the rest of this year. Last I checked, there are now two NFL franchises in Los Angeles. Yep. That's not good for the future of 2020 NFL football. Um, I don't know that the NCAA is going to step in and mandate something like that, but even if they didn't, Big Ten teams aren't playing a Big Ten exclusive season. Mm -hmm. You've got all the non-conference games. Um, you've got all the non-Power 5, Power 5 stuff. Like, I don't know how you build a coordinated response to this for college football in the fall, but your your thought there to have somebody like an Oliver Luck who has the resume, um, you know, that's that's probably something that they should look at doing now if they haven't already, because if they don't, you're going to have this hodgepodge piecemeal thing where everybody's trying to do their own stuff. And it's not going like the Big Ten's going to have probably restrictions that are way too stringent for everybody else, like playing 11,000 conference games and not letting, you know, all this, all the stupid stuff the Big Ten does, tying one hand behind their back. Yeah. But then you're going to have the SEC playing loosey goosey and they're going to want to play, but the Big Ten's not going to let their Big Ten SEC games happen Mm -hmm. because those those are not going to jive with each other. There has to be some sort of coordinated response to it. Yeah. And that, that's the, even outside of the the return to football this fall, you look at it on a what would a normal year type of thing be, the SEC continues to play less conference games. So that's where if you have just one person that's kind of more in charge rather than the conferences doing each their own thing and you say, okay, you're going to play nine conference games or you're going to play eight conference games, whatever that is, and then you have to have X number of non-conference games against Power 5 teams. So if you have someone that just dictates what that is, and yes, there can be a board, it can be voted on, uh, you can do it a number of different ways, but right now it's so conference by conference, you're right, the Big Ten does just kind of hinder their own progress compared to the SEC and the ACC just pretty much guaranteeing that they're going to get one team do pretty well during the year and get to the playoff. Yeah, I that's... It's so funny to me, like, I, I've, I haven't thought of this before, but now I'm like, yeah, if if every conference is just left to themselves, the Big Ten is going to be the most strict about everything, and they're not going to let any other conference play with them, because their their rules are going to be more lax. 
Like, <laughs> well, and th- you see and it in recruiting, recruiting. You see it in all kinds of other walks of of the football element of it. And let's it's really bring it home to translate to everything else. Let's really bring it home to Nebraska being back before Nebraska was in the Big Ten. Let's go back to 1997. Why didn't Nebraska get to play? And there's a split national championship that year. Why is it? Because the Big Ten had to have their contract with the Rose Bowl, where Michigan had to go out. Michigan ranked number one going in, had to play, what, number like seven or eight? The number seven or eight team, whereas Nebraska, number two, goes and plays number three, Tennessee. Yeah. Oh, yeah, yeah, yeah. Washington State. Yeah, um, yeah. Who was, yeah, like somewhere between seven and nine. They were low tens, yeah. Um, but you look at that and you go, okay, so Michigan gets to share the title because they, I mean, they played a top 10 team and it was a lot closer. Nebraska went and smashed somebody because they weren't concerned about, well, the, the Big 12 then is what it was, weren't concerned about tying their hands behind their back. They were going and playing in that better game. Yeah. Yeah. It's, Big Ten is going to Big Ten if they're uh, if they're left to their own devices, um, and and look like you have you have NFL players who tested positive this week. The Rams center was the first one that was publicly announced. Sean Payton, the head coach, was already uh, he had the disease a few mm-hmm. weeks back. Um, uh, there's Vaughn been Miller, an, yeah, there's been an unnamed Chargers player before. Another player, yeah, yeah. So Vaughn, I mean, Von Miller was an MVP of the Super Bowl yeah. four years ago. Um, that was reported on Thursday. Look, this is we we still have a long way to go. Um, you see encouraging signs of you know we've got we've got more of a guideline, more of a framework for reopening things. But I mean, just just relating it to sports, um, if you don't have a, a response coordinated with all the schools, I don't know how you're going to be able to play mm-hmm. anything other than just hey, let's just go around robbing in our conference and call it a day. That's not going to be fun for anybody. I don't. Yeah. Think. You, you you don't have anything to play for at the end of it. It's going to be a completely different dynamic, and I don't want that. Does that mean, and Jack's talked about this a lot on LNK Today with Jack and Friends, especially a lot on Twitter, and not that he's advocating for it, but that he's seeing more and more of the possibility, and we can get more into this, but spring college football? As in play the, the 2020 season in spring 2021, yeah, and then the 2021 season in fall 2021. Yeah, or you have to maybe. adjust schedules a little bit, but yeah, something like that. But yeah, before we get to all of that, we've got our own virtual spring game. Yeah, we got to break this down. It's definitely going to happen. It's uh, you you have you have a lot to you have a lot to look at in terms of which players uh, are on which teams. Um, I I I have some. There are some obvious advantages on on one of these squads. Mm-hmm. Um, not that there's disadvantages on the other, but it's uh. Look, I, I'm very excited to break this thing down because I think I have, I think I have a, a, a real good sense of how this game would go. I don't know if I should. I want to. I want to know what you're handicapping at because I know where I've seen, where I've seen live betting odds. <laughs> I know where I've put yeah. it. I know where Jack yeah. put it, and I know where Greg Sharp put it. Yeah, I, I wonder if there's if this game's already done or if they're like playing this simulated like. How is this going to be? I I have so many questions, but I, I I have a good sense of how the game itself would play out if I saw it in real life. Yeah, which we can't, but here we are. We're gonna make it as good as we can do it. I can't wait to hear it. Let's do it next. This is the KLI and Husker Hour. We're breaking down the fake spring game next. 
Your Saturday morning source for everything Huskers is right here. You're listening to the KLIN Husker Hour on Lincoln's Husker Radio, 1400 KLIN. Back here on the KLIN Husker Hour, Caleb Henry and Cole Stukenholtz ready to break down a fake game because that is where we are. Life in the pandemic, the great isolation, what have you. Uh, we haven't had real sports since, uh, since what, the state championship, really? Yeah. Here in Nebraska. Yeah, we had that, but if we're talking Husker sports, it was that conference basketball game where two football players got in. Brant Banks. Who were practicing to play today. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. Well, hey, turns out they didn't need the spring practices. They weren't missing anything because right. things, uh, things were pretty much done at that point. Um, all right. So if you haven't seen what the rosters are, uh, this might not be a, a great conversation for you to have. We're going to try to, you know, mention the the names. I'm not going to just read the list down. You can find them online um, at Huskers on Twitter on Facebook. Um, but okay, I, I want to start here because whenever you're talking about great teams, you're going to talk about what is going on up front: yeah. offensive line, defensive line, and look right in the middle. You want to go inside out? That's another cliche you got. Hey, what's if if you're good inside out? It works with baseball. It works with football. You look inside. Uh, I'm sorry, red team, red <laughs> team. You're good, but look at what is going on on the interior on the white team. Offensive line: Dean Steincooler, Dave Remington, Will Shields from guard, center guard, and then on the defensive line. You have the two most dominant defensive tackles in Nebraska history in Rich Glover and Indomitian Sue. Mm-hmm. Right there, I'm giving like a point or two um, <laughs> favoring the white. I don't even care what the red has. Like That's ridiculous. I don't know the first thing that jumped out to you when you ran down the rosters, but that was the first thing that jumped out to me when I saw compared in red-white. White's interior on the D-line and O-line are sick. Well, when they when they released the rosters, they released red first on Tuesday, did, then yeah. white on Wednesday. And when red came out, you looked at it and you went, okay, I'm seeing a bunch of good names. And then offensively, you looked at it and you went, okay, looking at this line, and specifically interior, and you're going, I'm not seeing... Will Shields. Yep. I'm not seeing Dave Remington. Mm-hmm. I'm not seeing Steincooler. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. So as soon as you saw that, you went, okay, well, I, I'm sure that there will be some pretty good things. And then you looked at the, the red team defense. And at that red team defense, going not just interior, but across the board, and you've got Winstrom, and there's Jason Peter in there, and there's Trev Alberts. Um, there's a number of guys, and you go, okay, this looks pretty good. But as I'm looking at this, I'm saying, who can people pretty much agree is the most dominant player in college football history? And for folks our age, at least, we can go, well, and Dominican Sue is a giant one there. And then you go back a little bit further, and you go, well, Rich Glover, and you go, oh, both of those weren't on the red team. Yeah, they're going to be paired up. Yeah, not to say that Larry Jacobson and Jason Peter are no, 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 are no terrible no. football players because they're not, but. I think there's a little bit of a step up. And I you know, the red team has definitely I think has the edge on the edge, um, so to speak. You have mm-hmm. Grant Wistrom and Trev Alberts, uh, and Demario Williams at outside linebacker on top of that. Like the pass rush on the red team defense is great. And I think their cornerbacks, if you looking if you're looking Keo Craver, Prince of Mukamara, 
Um, that's awesome. Those corners are really good. The problem is, I don't know how much you're going to see cornerbacks factor in <laughs> when you're playing against an offense that has Eric Crouch, Amon Green, Corey Schlesinger, Johnny Rogers taking jet sweeps. Um, you know, you you're, you're going to lock down Stanley Morgan. I don't know how productive well, he's going to be. Nate Gary tweeted at Stanley Morgan and said, "You better hope on vir- you better hope virtual Crouch doesn't throw across the <laughs> middle because you're going to be one and done there." And all the comments underneath there, well, well, that's how you get a virtual targeting, Nate. Oh, <laughs> virtual targeting! It's so fun because he got called for terrible targeting calls, like back to back. But yeah, so the way this game is going to be played out, if, if we take a, a step back, yeah. the first game is going to be a CP or first half is going to be CPU simulation. Okay. Second half, mystery gamers. So the Ooh. reason the reason that's important, and they'll they'll be revealed afterwards as well. Very cool. Um, uh, props there to to Kevin Suits for for getting that from uh, senior AD. Uh, George Classy. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Um, and the reason that's important, because when you sim, if you run a simulation for this game, that first half will likely be a lot of three yards in a cloud of dust with what you have in these backfields. Yeah. And the defensive lines. And the defensive lines. You get into the second half, you feel like those playbooks are going to open up a little bit more. Mm. You might see them come out first play of the second half, and all of a sudden they're spread. You're yeah. going to get some more updated type of plays. So that's where I think the corners will come into this being a little bit more on how they match up with the wideouts. Yeah, and, and your quarterbacks, by the way, Eric Crouch and Tommy Frazier. Crouch on the white, Frazier on the red. Not pass-first guys, um, though they are both capable. Especially, I'm sure that, they made the ratings Especially fine. on that cool option pass where Frazier goes to the right or left and then he takes like five steps drop. Uh, <laughs> I... I don't I don't know how Red gets anything going on the defense. Like you have I mentioned Sue and Glover. You got Levante David at linebacker going everywhere. These are the white team defense, you. by white, the way. White white yeah. team defense. Um and and in the back, Mike Minter and Mike Brown, <laughs> the two best safeties in Nebraska history. Um and their corners are not bad. Ralph Brown, Fabian Washington, mm-hmm. two guys who started as true freshmen. At cornerback, um, look, I, I I I like what Red has. I would favor Red about against just about anybody other than like ninety five Nebraska and seventy one Nebraska and seventy Nebraska and ninety and all the all the the teams, teams that yeah. win. You know, uh, but I'm not favoring them against the white team. Like the white team would get my uh, virtual money bet were I to bet virtual money on this. So what I saw, not. what I saw for real lines that like people were actually real money bets able, yeah, that, able that's to go thing. do was white minus one and a half. Okay. Um, Greg Sharp on LNK today on Thursday said white minus three and a half. Wow. Uh, or he said white minus four and a half. Who's the home team here? Because you get the home, you get the bump. That, that's that's a trick question. It, it, it's the same team, but but mind. but yeah. Um, <laughs> Neutral. I, so, so Sharp said Greg Sharp said minus four and a half. Yeah. Jack said white minus six and a half. Woo! I was leaning. Thought I was high on things. I was leaning white minus three and a half. Just saying that it's going to be more than a touchdown or yeah. more more than a field goal. Yeah. Um, that's the other thing to look at, uh, because I joked with uh, with Greg and with Jack that if you start to go into prop bets, how many fifty plus field goals 
50 yard <laughs> plus field goals will there be? Because white team place kicker Alex Henry, mm-hmm. red team place kicker Chris Brown. Yep, you could do worse. We might also see some 80 yard punts. Yep. Red Sam's. Team. Yeah, Sam Cook and of course Sam Foltz yep. coming through on the white team there. Yeah. I one of the other ways I tried to look at this was like if you're if you're playing uh if you're playing any game whatever, you're you're going to try to look and see where to attack when you're on offense. Um who's who's the quote unquote weak link? Like Look, these are all-time players. This is not to say that these players are bad, but if you're looking for weak links, like I'm not saying the safeties are not good at football on the red team because they are, but it's not Mike Brown and Mike Minner. Uh, Nate Gary, Josh Bullock's very good safeties. Um, they're they're going to be asked to do uh, a lot of tackling, and Gary, I think, is up for the challenge. Bullock is more of an interception guy, um, and and they have the original guys uh, who who are leading tacklers as well on the red defense with Barrett Rude and Jerry Murtaugh. Murtaugh had the career record before Rude broke it. Um, I I just I think if you are if you're looking for a weakness on the red team defense, um, I think it's on the back end in terms of the safety play, not corner, but safety play. Um, white team defense, um, I would. It's again hard to say uh, that this is a weakness because these guys are really good. Uh, but I would say maybe just pass rush. Not that they're going to be seeing a lot of passing from the red team, uh, but Willie Harper more of a run stopper. Uh, Broderick Thomas is really your your main guy that you have to worry about in terms of of rushing the passer, uh, and and he's going up against offensive tackles on the red team uh, who are Zach Wiegert and Marvin Crenshaw. I, pass rush might be the, the, the weakness there, so if you can get Frazier a little bit of time, get some open looks, um, he's throwing to Irving Fryer and Kenny Bell uh, with Junior Miller at tight end. Mm-hmm. That's a I think he's going to eat up with the tight end. I think the red team can do more through the air. Yeah. Um, but I don't know that the white team would need to worry about it if they're able to control the game on the ground. Mm-hmm. Yeah, when 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 I look at this and it, so you're def- this is awesome, by the way. So you're definitely we are breaking like- down a fake football <laughs> game on a real sports talk show because we haven't had real sports for over a month, and I I could not be more happy. About I'm this. so pumped to watch this. Which, by the way, it'll be Greg Sharp and uh, Matt Davison on the call. Um, we do know at some point there's going to be a dropped pass, and Davison will go. I know someone who could have caught that. Wow. Um, I do think. Missed opportunity by the athletic department here on one thing. Yep. When we look at, okay, the fullbacks are solid. Yes. You've got Corey Schlesinger and who is Makovica. the... And Makovica. Joel Makovica. I should specify. There's about <laughs> 50 of them. That um, yeah, there's about 4,000 of them across Nebraska, um, all in 80 different small towns. Including but, the Ruths on the team now. I didn't realize the, the two Ruths uh, mm-hmm. are, are nephews yeah. of the McAvickers. Um, yeah. They're everywhere. Yes. But uh, before we go to break, I think a missed opportunity because one of the Nebraska Hall of Fame announcements was Sam Francis yeah. from the 1930s, yeah. who as a fullback finished runner-up in the Heisman. The first Heisman vote ever. Um, finished runner-up to a guy from Yale, and then in the spring, he goes number one in the NFL draft. Yep. All of that besides the fact he won big uh, big six mm-hmm. conference championships for 
shot put, won indoor and outdoor, won the outdoor national championship, and got fourth at the Olympics. Mm-hmm. Missed opportunity to bring our boy Sam Francis on. Yeah, I as far as like old, you know, the the older players, I think they only really went back to if I if I'm not mistaken, Bob Brown is yeah. the oldest guy on either team and he played in the 60s. Which is fine because by doing that you're going to make sure that these are people that folks watching have seen and can have some identity with. Yeah. Uh, so I have no problem with that, in, in all honesty. But I thought in the same week that you announced this guy going to the Nebraska Athletic Hall of Fame as the sixth ever class, mm-hmm. would have been cool to at least seen him. Because this is just starters. They're obviously going to turn like injuries off. Yeah. But if you went and made like a, a two deep, a three deep, and all of a sudden you see a guy from 1936 on there, that would have been pretty cool. You could have got like Tom Novak or Guy Chamberlain in there too, guys who played in the the teens and yeah. the 20s. That's a missed opportunity, I agree. And especially if you you start going, we obviously have the two quarterbacks here with yeah. Frazier and Crouch, but if you go if you do a two and a three deep, yep. you start looking at okay, where where do some of these other guys line up? If if someone gets hurt, leave injuries on. Yeah. Man, now I'm I'm really I'm really I'm really sad about I mean, I, look, you this, have this is going to be awesome. legends on these rosters, but man, I want some George flipping in my life. <laughs> Go back to the 1890s, people. There, there was a big Johnny Mitchell problem in here. Oh, weird. <laughs> Jack Mitchell, who's his number one fan. I had him on the show my first year, I think, and I told Jack, and he was like, what? You had Johnny Mitchell on? You didn't tell me? Another story for another day. Yeah. Yeah. All right. Well, that was fun. Um, looking forward to that. That airs again live today at 1 o'clock. That's the real, that would have been the original spring game kickoff yep. time. Stream, stream launches yeah. at 1, National Anthem 101. There's a band performance 102. Husker Power starts at 104. Tunnel oh Walk gosh. 105. Kickoff 106. Halftime. Tom Osborne interview live. Is he going to lead the drug-free pledge for all my kids? In the I think room? so, actually. Healthy Husker Pledge. Hey, there you go. This is, this is fantastic. It's on Facebook, Twitter, and Twitch. Um, if you uh, don't have any of those downloaded, download them now. And we'll retweet those links as yes. well as soon as we see those come up. Yeah, good stuff. All right, Fake Football at 1 o'clock. Real Sports Talk continues next. Uh, this is the KLIN Husker it's Hour. It's the KLIN Husker Hour. Wiki, wiki. It's the, it's the <laughs> remix. Wiki, It's the remix. <laughs> it it's literally like... never says wiki, wiki. No, it's like... That's what it sounded like. It was like the record skipped, you know? Oh. I'm not a DJ, but I, I it sounds like I'm playing one on the radio hey, right now. Hey, the sound should play well from our other port where we have sound from Coach Hoiberg. Hey, because they had yeah. a big old signing day, brought in five guys. Nice transition there. Yeah, it was no no freshmen, all transfers from Correct. from other D1 schools or JUCOs. Uh, but yeah, they they got some dudes in. This is what Hoiberg does. Um, some of them, uh, how many are going to sit out? One or two? So, <laughs> we, don't, we don't know for sure. Yeah, but we, we don't know yet because what's expected to happen here in actually about a week, we'll see yeah. the first proposals for it. Um, and then next month, they'll really vote on it. And what it is is the one-time transfer rule. Yeah. Um, they will also get into um, name, image, likeness. It's it's gonna there's gonna be a lot come out from the NCAA here in the next month and a half. All via Zoom. <laughs> yeah. Um. But so what you have is you do have two players that might have to sit out. 
in uh, what is it, Kobe King? Yeah, from Wisconsin. Um, and Trey McGowan's from and Trey McGowan's. Those yeah. are the thought to be sit out guys. Kobe Webster would be a grad transfer from Western Illinois. And then your two JUCO guys, Teddy Allen and Lat would be able to play right away coming from the lower levels. Yeah. Um. So was on a teleconference with Coach Hoiberg. Which stick around. We will have a great Michael Jordan story from him. Um. But he he gave his general thoughts on on this class uh, just off the top of the teleconference before we got into any questions. We're very excited about this group, and uh, you know the the thing that I like most about them. Obviously, they all have uh, very unique skill sets, and they can do a lot of things on the floor. Uh, but what I'm really excited about this group is is their competitive spirit, and I think we're going to have a group of guys that are going to love to work. Uh, they're going to get in the gym. You know, the teams that I've had the most success with uh, are the ones that always are in the gym getting extra work and building chemistry together and, and holding each other accountable uh, in, during off hours. Uh, you know, obviously we're going to work extremely hard uh, when we're in there at practice, but, you know, the teams, uh, in my opinion, that give you the best chance to win are the ones that come back uh, at night or the ones that come in uh, an hour before practice and get shots and, and, and put in the and put in the necessary work. And I, and I think we're going to have a group uh, that just loves to play the game. And, uh, you know, I've had great uh, conversations, did a, did a Zoom call with all of our recruits uh, or with all the guys in the recruiting class this morning. Uh, and they're hungry and they're eager to get to work. Unfortunately, we don't know when that is. Uh, you know, we, as of right now, um, the plan is to have our guys back on June 6th, but obviously everything's fluid uh, during this time, so uh, things can change. But, uh, you know, we're going to do everything we can uh, to try to give our guys the means to, uh, you know, get their workouts in uh, based on what equipment uh, they have in their homes. Uh, we've, we've been doing that with our uh, players that are coming back, uh, but we're trying to help our guys to give them some type of foundation for when they get back uh, to where we can hit the ground. And you know, hopefully, start the workouts uh, or that early part of June. So there, there's there's a lot in there. That one, the very last part, they're hoping to have those workouts in June, which yeah. means they're the hope is and the expectation right now. And they're gonna you have to plan on things coming back because if they come back and you're not prepared for it, then you're not ready. You gotta have a plan. Um, Absolutely. So they're hoping to have that back, but there's a lot of things about hoping these guys have things at their own home yeah. that they can access. Um, just the general thoughts on that, on the class as a whole, uh, should bring some more versatility, some more athleticism. Um, and let's just go through each player because he talked about each one individually. And let's start in conference with, uh, with Wisconsin transfer, uh, Kobe King, who left, uh, I believe the team in January, yeah. um, and then made his commitment with, uh, Coach Hoiberg to come in here. You know, we, we saw him play. Uh, we saw him play when I when I was at Iowa State. Um, but uh, you know, as far as what he brings uh, to the table, uh, obviously a, a physicality. He's he's a guy. You know, you can definitely invert the floor with him because of his ability to post. Uh, it's one of the best things uh, that he does. He's got great strength. Uh, he's got a great body uh, inside. When we played them the first time, I actually just watched that game. Uh, he was averaging almost 15 points per game, and, and through nine Big Ten games, he was leading Wisconsin uh, in scoring. And uh, he's got to get to the free throw line uh, at a high rate as well. And, and again, I think uh, you know as we get guys to campus, uh, you know, we'll, I like his shooting stroke, and I think he can become a very, very reliable three-point shooter. So 
uh, you know, again, a guy that played in a, in a great system as far as defensively, uh, you know, what, what they did at Wisconsin, what he did at Wisconsin uh, his first two years, and another guy with the strength and physicality that can guard multiple positions. So the poor transition by on my part there, but the part where he said they saw him while he was at Iowa State, uh, Kobe King would have been like junior, seventh or eighth, grade yeah, or like so, a yeah. junior high kid yeah. playing some AAU ball. That's funny. Uh, type stuff. So yeah, that's how far the recruiting goes. Like you could be in fifth grade and they go, well, this fifth grader six two, yeah, should probably see what he's got going on. Well, a name like Kobe, you're probably gonna remember. Yeah, exactly. Speaking of, which. Um, so that's one of them that might have to uh, sit out this next year. We'll get to Trey McAllen's in, in a, a minute, but the, let's go through the two junior college guys, six nine, Lat Mayan. Um, probably the who, least known guy in this class. Probably the least, yeah, probably the the least, well, and the least talked about. And he's yeah. one of my favorite guys. Went to Chippewa College in uh, Florida. Florida. Yeah. Um, and he's a guy who actually started out at TCU yep. um, and then had an injury, went Juco route. And he's a guy that can bring some of that size and think about what Nebraska had for size this year. Well, really, Kevin Cross and Ivan Udrago. Yeah. And then they just had to kind of alternate because there was no depth down there. I think that's a big part of what uh, what Lat brings in. And uh, Hoiberg talked about him. I love everything about the kid. I, you know, first thing what I saw out of him was uh, when I went out and watched him at Chipola this this year uh, was his his defensive stance and his ability to move his feet. Uh, you know, I think he's he's going to be a guy that's a very versatile defender that can that can defend multiple positions. Uh, you know, again, eight double doubles this year. He's a 38 percent three point shooter. He's got a beautiful shooting stroke, uh, and I think we'll play very well off of our guards. I think we're gonna have multiple playmakers this year. Uh, you know, they can make plays to get our guys open shots. Uh, he was an 82 percent free throw shooter at six nine. Uh, you know, that, that's pretty darn impressive. Uh, he has two years at the high major level playing at TCU, where he played for a really good coach, and uh, you know, I think was taught very well, especially on that defensive end of the floor. So. Uh, you know, again, another guy that, that can play multiple positions. I think he's a true combo forward. Uh, even at times, I think we can play small uh, and put him at the at the five spot because I know he's going to battle, uh, and he'll be able to space the floor and take bigs away from the rim uh, on the other end. But, you know, you can play him anywhere. And, you know, again, we're looking at different things within our system to put guys uh, in different spots, uh, uh, really all five positions on the floor. Last year, you know, we were pretty much, uh, you know, knew where everybody was going to go, but next year we're going to change that up a little bit. And last one of those guys can play uh, anywhere uh, within the system. Uh, one of my one of my, the low key good things about Lat Mayan coming in, all the Husker fans who have the Australian flags from when Alex March was here, the kangaroos, <laughs> whatever, get it out of the closet, get it ready to go. He's from Australia, Adelaide. Um, so that's that's a little underrated. Uh, piece of this that the and since we're gonna man. we're gonna have to have our roster cards in front of us on pronunciation mayan mayan think 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 like uh the mayan empire, the mayan empire. yeah go. all right so uh that's one of those that you start to see the names and you go okay we're still figuring out how to say ivan's last name but <laughs> let, let's let lat know right away we know how to say his and the other juco guy former boys town standout i believe 2017 yes. Yes. Uh, nebraska gatorade player of the year started out at west virginia then transferred to Wichita State, where he never even played a game. Yep. Uh, goes to Western Nebraska Community College. Teddy Allen. This is one of those that, is, and Hoiberg talks about it, he talked to a lot of people and he was asked, were there any kind of reservations about taking a chance on Teddy? We talked to uh, a lot of people that have been in Teddy's life, and, you know, including the coaches that he played for and uh, you know, obviously his support staff. And we were very comfortable uh, taking on Teddy, and you know, especially with the conversations that we had with him, going all the way back to when we first went out and saw him 
uh, out in Scotts Bluff and, you know, staying in touch with him over the course of the season. Uh, you know, we, we were very comfortable, um, you know, taking, bringing Teddy on board and, you know, we're excited about everything that, that he can offer. Uh, you know, talking to people, even going back to his previous school, uh, you know, one strength coach sent us an email unsolicited saying that he's his favorite athlete that he's worked with of all time. And, you know, it's his work ethic and holding guys accountable in the, in the weight room uh, and that type of thing. And, you know, talking to Corey, uh, you know, the head coach out at Western, he said he didn't have one issue uh, with him this year and said he was phenomenal, uh, you know, as far as everything that he did with the players and in the community. And, you know, we're excited about what he's going to bring to our program. You know, he averaged over 32 points a game. He had, um, uh, you know, so many uh, 17, 30-plus point games. He had four 40-point games. Uh, this year, you know, he's, he's an 88% free throw shooter, which I know is music to all of our ears. Uh, you know, he was third in free throw attempt rate in, in junior college this last year and in a 38% three point shooter. So, you know, he does a lot of things for a volume score and a volume shooter to have the percentages of 51% overall, 30, 38 from three and 88 from the free throw line. Those are phenomenal, phenomenal numbers. Uh, and, you know, he's, he's been great. Uh, you know, as far as everything that we're asking of him, and, and uh, we're excited to get him to campus. He's going to be uh, immediate buckets, and I, I was talking with, uh, while that was playing, was talking with yeah. uh, Cole here, and I, I really think with the guys that are sitting out that are going to be coming onto the floor, they're going to demand attention. You're going to have so many options this next year that Teddy Allen, even if he comes off the bench, I think he can go 15 points a game in the Big Ten. He he's going to be one of those guys that can come off the bench and as soon as he steps on the floor he's buckets. Yeah. Um. And so we're we're gonna I know there's been some traffic. We're gonna try to get this break in here. We're gonna see if it works as well. But we've got two guys coming in as well: Kobe Webster, Trey McGowan's, um, two guys that handled the ball, yes. ball handlers. Uh, we. And it was said on the teleconference, do we even call them point guards anymore? Because we'll have guys like Delano next year that handles the ball a lot, but he's, what, like 6'8"? Yeah, he's big. So you kind of point forwardy, But, yeah, ball handlers. We'll get into that after the break here on 1400 KLIN. It is the KLIN Husker Hour. Back again. And uh, sorry again about those goofy uh, breaks there, but uh, let's let's keep this going here so, with Oscar yeah, signing um, class. Running short on time, so we're going to stick uh, skip Kobe Webster, great point guard, grad transfer out of uh, Western Illinois, the old Leathernecks. Jim Molinari. Um, there we go. Uh, and So, pit transfer, Trey McAllens, who started uh, the majority of their games his first two years there in the ACC. Um, Hoiberg was asked about him and having multiple ball handlers going forward. I think a big thing is is uh, we've got multiple handlers now that can make plays and that have made plays. And, uh, you know, Trey McGowan's is a hell of a player. He's, he's a guy that uh, you see the numbers uh, that he put up. He had 35 in a game against Louisville in the ACC, and he had a 30-point game against Florida State, which is not easy to do against Florida State. Uh, but he's, he's another guy that is a combo guard. He, he can play. Uh, he made a lot of really good plays. And, again, you see what his numbers did. His assist numbers went up. Uh, in year two, and his, his turnover ratio uh, got much better uh, in year two as well. But he's very athletic. Uh, he's a guy that can shoot uh, the ball at a, at a high clip, uh, and he's played at the highest level. You know, and he played in the ACC, and, and he started, I think he started 64 of the 66 games uh, that he played at Pitt and, you know, played for a coach that I have a lot of respect for in, in, in Jeff Capel. So, you know, I'm, I'm excited about uh, about what he brings 
uh, to the table. And again, I think all those guys will fit very well together. What I saw Delano, uh, you know, this year, he's so good at making simple plays. And, you know, it makes him look easy. And that's the sign, I think, of a great player is when you make hard plays uh, look easy. And that's what Delano does. And then you start a chain reaction. And we're going to have guys who can get into the paint. Uh, you know, similar, we had some guys last year. But, again, hopefully we finish better and make better decisions, especially at the rim. That was Trey McGowan's we was talking about there. Uh, played two years at Pitt um, as a true freshman. He was the number two sit-out transfer, according to Rivals. Um, he's he's a big guy too six one uh, sorry six four one ninety. Um, the the thing that you like about him uh, is when he went from his freshman year to his sophomore year, his assist to turnover ratio doubled. Mm-hmm. Um, and and so he's a good ball handler. Uh, he scored thirty three in one game um, against Louisville. So he can score. He can dish it out. Um, and and even if he has to sit for a year, he would be a good ball handler off the off the um, on the roster for for. Hoyer. Yeah, you look at the ball handlers, and you and he being one of them that might have to sit out. Kobe King being the other one. You look at the ball handlers. Uh, so, and real quickly before we hit this last break, because we want to get this MJ story in. Um, Hoiberg also talked about how to mesh basically the three groups of guys he has. You have the returners that were part of his first class, and yep. obviously Thor being part of that. Um, and you've got the sit guys, guys, the sit-out guys with the three there that would have helped immensely this past season as well. And your five new guys coming in, Hoiberg does still have one scholarship that mm-hmm. he could go fill uh, before we get into this next year. But great story from Coach Hoiberg. Um, from when he played against Michael Jordan, starting tomorrow, you're going to have the the first two parts of the ten part docu series, the last dance on Michael Jordan and the Bulls and their their final run towards that sixth championship. Yeah. Uh, Hoiberg gave us a story on the teleconference. Want to share it with you guys next as we close things up on the KLIN Husker Hour. Here is the Michael Jordan Fred Hoiberg story right now. Looking forward to a good sports uh, sports documentary here. Uh, you know, especially in, you know, to play a small part. I sat on the bench a lot of years when I was with the Pacers and playing those great series uh, against the Bulls. But, uh, you know, my very first game uh, in the NBA, an exhibition game, was against the Bulls. And I'll never forget the layup line. Uh, you know, we're going through, and I look down the other end of the floor, and there's the guy that I looked up to uh, my entire life growing up. And you got Michael Jordan, and you got Pippen, and you got Rodman, and you know you see all those unbelievable players down there that won so many championships. Now here you are getting the opportunity to play against those guys. Um, you know the first really meaningful uh, minutes I got late in that year, my rookie year, was against the Bulls, and they that was the year they went 72 and 10, and we actually beat them twice that year. And one of them was that last game, was the second to last game of the season. I hadn't played in about 40 games, and Larry Brown came to me before. Uh, the, the, the night before and, and told me I was going to play because we'd wrapped up our seed, which we had the second best record um, that year. And, and the Bulls obviously had locked up the one seed. So generally when you go into a, uh, a situation like that, where you clinch your playoff seed, they start playing the reserves. So uh, he came to me and said that uh, I was going to play. So first half he put me in, this was at the height of the popularity of the NBA, NBA and NBC and, uh, you know, we're playing in the United Center, and, you know, it's just a crazy atmosphere. And, you know, I go in there, my first experience, I walk to the scores table the exact same time as Michael Jordan did. And Mark Jackson, our point guard, uh, he said to me, do you want me to guard MJ? I said, hell yeah, I want you to guard MJ. And I guarded <laughs> Steve Kerr that time. I mean, we're about the same speed. So I had a good first half. I actually had a couple dunks and had a good half and didn't know if I was going to play again. The second half, they put 
you know, very competitive third quarter. Jordan and Reggie Miller were talking smack to each other, and uh, I got put back in beginning of the fourth. And it was all reserves, and I guarded Randy Brown, who actually was on my staff uh, when I was when I was with the Bulls. And uh, we were up by eight with about three minutes left, and Phil Jackson uh, put his starters back in the game. And I look over at our bench thinking Larry Brown might do it, but all our starters had ice on their knees. So now I get a guard, Jordan. And uh, it was crazy finish. They hit – we're actually up nine. Tony Kukoc hit a three. Uh, they came down. Jordan hit a three right in my face. Uh, they come back down after a couple possessions, and Tony Kukoc hits a three falling out of bounds uh, to tie the score. We call timeout. Larry Brown draws up a great play. Antonio Davis misses a point-blank layup with about 18 seconds left, and Michael Jordan goes up and rebounds the ball with one hand and dribbles the ball over the floor uh, over half court and gets everybody out of the way. And I'm guarding him. And, you know, I'd seen him obviously a million times make that game-winning shot. And, you know, once he did that, uh, he cleared everybody out. We ran a double team up at him. He split the double team, and he went up and shot it at the elbow, left elbow. And I went up as high as I possibly could, which wasn't very high, and tried to contest his shot, and this ball went in and out. And I went up and got the rebound and threw a full-court pass, and Eddie Johnson actually got fouled uh, at the buzzer, and he made his two free, two out of three free throws, and we ended up beating the Bulls. So that was my first opportunity, really, of guarding uh, the greatest ever, and I guess I shut him down on the game-winning shot. Yeah, just low key flex there. I guess I should flex. Down Which, by the way, um, uh, Jacob Padilla helped us find that actual clip. I've yep. I've retweeted that as well. Yeah. Hoiberg does not get the rebound. No, <laughs> but no. he does make a great pass on the edge. He goes perfectly, exactly the way you want uh, your point guard to go over. Get the outlet, throw the ball up the court. Um, MJ did not agree with that foul call at all. No, neither did Phil. Um, and actually, as I watched it, I was like, eh. I maybe would have let it go. Yeah, that was their that was their tenth loss. They went seventy. So in seventy two and ten, yeah. Pacers beat them twice. Hoiberg was part of a team that was twenty percent of what some consider the greatest team ever. Mm-hmm. Yeah, of their losses over that regular season. Crazy. And that and that'll be and that was the what ninety five nine. 90, no, that was uh, the 96, yeah, 95, 96. Yeah, 95, 96. first year back. Um, the documentary coming out tomorrow is their last championship, 97, 98. 97, 98. And I'm, look, I had the Bulls, I had those old felt pennants up in my bedroom when I was little, and they were all yeah. the Bulls. Yeah. Um, whether or not I had a giant memory of really watching those, because I was still... They won their first championship. I was like one or two years old. Jeez. But I grew up watching that success while Nebraska had all of their success in the 90s. I'm looking forward to that. Also looking forward to the spring game. All the stream stuff starts at 1. You'll have Tunnel Walk, Band, Kickoff in there as well. I'm looking forward to watching that, live tweeting it. and There will be a story up on KLIN.com, I expect. You're dang right. I would expect <laughs> nothing less. Just full-on full on coverage of it. Um, yeah, some stuff we didn't get to. We'll get to next week. Uh, some local recruiting stuff um, for Nebraska kids. Uh, we're we're still here. We'll be here next week. Enjoy the uh, the fake spring game. Hope you liked the breakdown of it today here on our show. Go Big Red.